God's grace, his mercy, and his peace be with you tonight from God our Father, from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tonight we're beginning an Advent series. Throughout the next several weeks we're going to be looking at the various temples of God in the Bible. And uh, the word for temple in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is Hekah. Can you say that? Hekah. And a temple is a place where a god dwells. So in the pagan cultures, you might have an idol of gold, silver, bronze, stone, or wood, your god, and you would place them into the temple of your god, whatever that is, and that would be the place where your god dwells. Now we uh, know in the Bible that God dwells everywhere at all times, all at once. He's everywhere present. But he's also manifested himself at specific locations to dwell in the midst of his people in history, in temples. For example, we have Moses in the Old Testament in the wilderness. He, was, uh, he had the tent, the tabernacle, and God came and, and dwelt with his uh, shining glory in the tent in the wilderness in the midst of his people. That was a temple. Then you get over to Solomon in uh, Jerusalem, and when they said the prayer, uh, God came down and filled the temple with glory and smoke, and he dwelt in Jerusalem in the midst of his people in a temple. And tonight, the temple I'd like to look with you at is the Temple of Eden, where God dwelt in the midst of his people, Adam and Eve. Now, the other word for temple in the Bible, uh, one that's often translated as temple, is the word for house, bayat, from which you get my wife's name, Beth, house. And so if you want to know something about a person, about what kind of a person they are, about what kind of relationships he has with other people, what kind of a guy he is, you can meet him on the street, in the business, at the, at the recreation center, and you get some idea of him. But if you go to his house, then you really get an understanding. You can see how his, how his family receives you, what his wife's disposition is like, what his children or his pets. In fact, I, I had a friend when I was in Vicarage, an older gentleman, when he was younger, he canoed down the Yukon for two months by himself. And as he went down the Yukon, he'd come to various Eskimo and Indian villages. And he said he could tell what kind of people there were in the town before he even got to the town by the dogs. If the dogs came up and their ears were up and their heads were up and they were friendly and wagging their tails, he knew that these people were a good people but if the dogs put their ears down, their tail between their legs growled and scowled and, and went away, he knew that the people of that town were mean. And so you can tell a lot about God and his relationships with us and what kind of a God he is by his house, his temple, the place where he dwells. So let's take a look at Eden tonight uh, and realize some things about the relationship we have with God, what kind of a God he is, what it's like to live with him. It says in Genesis chapter 2, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Uh, so already we see that it's a garden. It's a place where man was placed in the midst of superabundance. A garden is a place where there's uh, this growing here, and it's cultivated to grow and produce superabundant fruit. God likes to place his people. His house is one of abundance. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree, that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. So there you see 
There is uh, pleasures for body, mind, and soul in God's house. That's the kind of a God he is. The pleasures of not only the greenness of the trees and the lushness of the vegetation, but, the, but the, uh, that which is good for food, the fruits are of all vibrant colors of the rainbow. God has a colorful, uh, blessed place, uh, his house, and it says the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both these trees being in the garden, what did God say about the tree of the knowledge of uh, all the trees? He says you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in God's house, if you want to go to his house, our dad's house, our father's house, we're going to live forever, what do we notice? There's freedom there. The devil wants to rearrange those words. Oh, did God say you can't eat of anything? In other words, he's such a restrictive man, the devil says. But if you read what God said, it's a place of freedom. You can freely eat of anything here in this house, just not this one. And the day that you eat of that, you die. But it's a freedom place, wonderful place. Uh, it's a place of worship. Because was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil evil? Was it an evil tree that God put in the middle of the garden? It was a good tree. It's a holy tree. It's just you're not to eat of that tree. In other words, every day that they did not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was an opportunity for them to worship God, to trust his word and say, we love you and we thank you for your provision. We thank you for the super abundant blessings of freedom all around us. And we thank you that you've given us this tree by which we may worship you and show that you're number one. Um, we also have the tree of life. God's house, our dad's house, is a place of life. Now, were there any prohibitions about eating that? No. There was only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You want to eat of the tree of life? You're free to do it. And as often as you'd like, go ahead. Because our God's house is a house of life. So if you want to go in and find out what kind of a God he is and what it's like to be with him and what kind of a relationship he wants with us, just look at his house here. It's a place of living and life and joy, and there's no death in it, no mourning, no pain or anything else. What a wonderful thing. So we can understand the kind of relationship God wants with us. Free, no fear. They were both naked. They were unashamed. There's no shame. This is the kind of relationship God wants with us, where he's in the midst, in our presence, and we're not afraid we, we enjoy him. Of uh, course, the world ain't, isn't any <laughs> Eden anymore, is it? I left a drudge report here uh, from today, printed off. Hundreds arrested, Long Island cops, I single serial killer in 10 murders. Uh, two, mil two, million two million strike in Britain over pension changes. Uh, U.S. Airways refuses to give refund a, term refund a terminally ill cancer patient. I love this one. Did you read this one? Kidnapper sues freed hostages for breach of oral contract. I mean, the guy, the guy kidnapped them, and now he's suing them because, you know, you're my hostages and you didn't keep your word to me. <laughs> uh, here's another one, cops. It says, burglar showered, put on residence clothes, made tacos, cookies, and watched a movie before being arrested. I mean, this is not Eden, okay? And the world we're living in is filled with pain and devastation and all kinds of things. What is that? It's that uh, what's it like to have 
sin in your life. That's the one thing that's not tolerated in God's house is sin, evil, death, rebellion, and things like that. That is not conducive to life. And so it must be cast out of the garden. So when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they were cast out of the garden. And what kinds of things went along with that? The ground would no longer produce for them. It would produce thorns and thistles by the sweat of his brow. Hard labor, he would gain his bread. Pain entered into the world. God gave uh, Eve pain and childbearing. Uh, we have enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. There is now clashes and war between the sons of God and the sons of the evil one. We also see in here that fear entered into our relationship with God because they hid themselves from the, from the sound of God in the cool of the day or, in, as it can be translated, in the wind of the storm. They heard him coming. And also shame, shame, because they sewed fig leaves together now that they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. So think of all the things that come from leaving God's house from going outside of God's house. And the devil says, come on over here. You think you got it good in God's house, I get a better house. I promise you, you'll be gods in my house. You go into his house and what do you find? You step out of the Garden of Eden and you got a desolate place. When I was in, uh, in uh, St. Louis in seminary, uh, when Naomi was even younger, um, we went to a, uh, uh, a butterfly house. You ever been to one of these? Where it's this beautiful big glass place, and it's the middle of winter in, in, East, in St. Louis. And this place, you walk in, it's 90 degrees, it's humid, you've got tropical plants lushly all over, you've got a cobblestone that you're walking along, the animals are friendly, the, the butterflies land all over you, there's the rush of a little brook and a little waterfall, it's like Eden. And then you get kicked out of there so to, to go home, and you walk out of there, and it's grab brick buildings and the trees are all dark and there's not anything on them. There's not a hint of green leaf anywhere and it's cold and, and if you're going to try to survive out there, all you have is a few leftover acorns under a few oak trees. I mean, it's just, that's really what it's like to leave God's house, to sin. Do you have any sin in your life? Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? This is where it leads to much as the devil wants to promise otherwise. So um, there's the contrast. But now, if that's your case, I want you to know God's not given up on you. When Adam and Eve were driven out of the temple of God, God didn't give up on them. You know how to see that? He didn't just give them the boot. You're out of here. It says uh, that the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. Can you see how much he loves us? He didn't give up on us. And w for them to be covered, there had to be the death of an animal. What animal? I don't know. Maybe it was a lamb, foreshadowing the sacrifice of Christ, that there's a death of an animal, and then they're covered in the robe, in the skin of a slain beast in order to what? Cover up their shame. Which points forward what Christ would do for us. And God did, did not give up on them, and he doesn't give up on you. This is what he said to the serpent. Uh, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and, your, and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Even then, God said to the woman, 
I will send a savior, or I send a serpent, I'm going to send a savior to crush you, and I'm going to make a way for them to come back to my house. Even though they, you've gotten them to be driven from my presence, I'm going to pursue them out of the garden. I'm going to clothe them with animal skins. I'm going to take care of them even out there. I'm going to pursue them and speak to them, and I'm going to provide a way one day to bring them back into my house. Isn't that great? What a dad we have. Because when Adam and Eve were driven out, there stood the guardian cherub with a flaming sword pointing every which way at the east of the garden to guard the way to the tree of life. No man could taste it or touch it. But what we're celebrating this Christmas, this Advent season, is that God has come to make a way back to the tree of life. The cherub guarded the way to the tree of life, but God sent him who is called the way, the truth, and the life to be our savior. It says in Peter, 1 Peter 3.18, um, for Christ died, let's see, how does it go? Uh, Christ died for sins, the the once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What's he gonna do? He comes into our world, he takes us, he died for our sins, covers us with his skins, by his death, the sacrificial lamb, and he covers us with his skins and he carries us to bring us, as it says, back home. And God has a promise to us in Isaiah 53. Listen to this. He said to his people, for the Lord will comfort Zion. He'll comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. And so our dad, our God, is a God with a wonderful house, a beautiful house, and he has provided the way back so that when we pass that guardian cherub on the way to the tree of life, what's he do? He has the, the sword and he simply goes, children of God, welcome. And then he guards it again for any sinner that might try to pass. But our sins have been taken away through Christ. He just gives us a quick salute. Yes, right this way, because this is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And God's come to bring us back to his home. So, what's life like now? We're in between two worlds. Our bodies and our flesh are still dealing with this. Brokenness, sin, desolation, freezing cold winds, drab uh, brick buildings of St. Louis type of stuff. You know, uh, we've got all kinds of trouble in the world, but our spirits, having been reborn, are already foretasting Eden. Did you know that? When Adam and Eve were in garden, they had all these things. We lost them. Now look, we got them back. We have fruitful labor. Our shame is taken away. We can be naked before God and unashamed. We have now restored relationships and marriages and families, and, uh, and especially in the church. Uh, we have the right to the tree of life. We have the tastes of the fruits of heaven all ready to be tasted in his word as we eat them. And, so, and we have no fear before God because he has covered our sin and taken the way. And, and uh, perfect love casts out fear. So you're already tasting of it tonight. This very night you can taste what other people have not come to taste yet. You can taste Eden. God is restoring it to you not yet in our, your bodies, but in your souls and your spirits, and he's also promised one day to restore it fully to your bodies 
as well. Because the promise there in Isaiah was that he'll make the wilderness like Eden, like the garden of the Lord, and the meek shall inherit the earth. Not just a little tiny garden, a patch of real estate, but God is, as it says in Revelation 21, the revelation given to John, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He'll dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away tears from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he sat upon the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And then we see that there's the river of the water of life and all these things that are there for us. So we were in the house. God drove us out of the house because of our sin. And God has provided a way for us back into his house where we already are living. And uh, I want us to rejoice in that this Christmas because his name is not called Emmanuel, God with us for nothing. <laughs> okay. And... Um, let me close then with this, uh, uh, just two more thoughts. I had a seminary professor once that said, the Eden to come, the restored paradise, is going to be as much greater than the first paradise as Christ is greater than Adam. Because the first creation, though perfect, was made for Adam. The second paradise creation is for the second Adam, Christ. As much as Christ is greater than Adam, so also will the new heavens and the new earth and glories be greater than the first creation. And so these are the great joys for you tonight, that you can taste of it and it is coming to be tasted in full measure. So rejoice in your God today and even that you're home with him already through Jesus Christ. And we'll close with these words from that uh, famous Christmas hymn redesigned for this sermon there's no place like home for these holy days. So no matter how far away you've roamed, if you want to be happy in a million ways, for these holy days, you can be home, sweet home. Amen.